Turn back to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians chapter 2. And we are really dwelling into part of what Paul describes as the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so let's begin reading again in verse 11 of Ephesians 2. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in His flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in Himself He might make the two, Jew and Gentile, into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, having by it put to death the enmity. And He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through Him we both have our access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. What we're looking at here in these passages at the beginning of the book of Ephesians is this surpassing wealth of God's grace in His kindness toward us. And Paul's going to use that figure of riches several times here in this book. If you go back to chapter 1 and verse 7, what we have here is in Him, part of our spiritual blessings in Christ, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches or the wealth of His grace. We also have in chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul wants us to know, he's praying that that church would know these things, that having the eyes of our heart enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, and now note this, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. He's going to repeat that wealth in chapter 2 and verse 7 
when the purpose of us being seated in Christ in the heavenly places is so that in the ages to come, and note he didn't say in the age to come, he said in the ages to come in which God will reveal more and more of himself through his Son, that in the ages to come he, God the Father, might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's going to mention it again in chapter 3 and verse 8 when he says to me, referring to Paul being made a minister, to me the very least of all saints, this grace was given, in other words the grace of apostleship, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable what? Riches of who? Of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. And he's going to conclude these three chapters with a prayer. Look in chapter 3, look at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that He that He would grant you according to the riches of His what? Of His glory. Everybody see that? What we have here is the wealth of God's grace coming to people who don't deserve it. Coming to us to whom it was not due. It was a gift of God so that we would not boast in ourselves but that we would boast in Him. That in Him we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. There is no lack of blessing on the church of Jesus Christ or on the members, individual members of His body. Think about this wealth within that encapsulation of grace. Think about this. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestinated us. He laid out the boundaries of our life. We were adopted. We have redemption. We have forgiveness of sins. We have a future inheritance that is ahead of us. We are now joint heirs with the promises that were given to Abraham and to that nation. We have access into this grace, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, wherein we stand. We have been given knowledge that was hidden before the foundation of the world, that was not revealed in the Old Testament, but now having been revealed to his apostles to be communicated to the church the knowledge which is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We have been granted the down payment. The down payment. We have been given a taste of the Holy Spirit of God. If that's the down payment, what's the future look like? We have been given a sealing. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We have been born again. 
We have been given life in Christ Jesus. We have been communicated to us by God, both doing the willing and the doing of His good pleasure, to walk in the good works that God has ordained before the foundation of the world. We have been gifted. We as Gentile people have drawn near. How near have we been drawn? We are organically unioned in Christ. You can't get more near than that. And the dividing wall of partition has been destroyed. We have been granted peace with God and we have access to the peace of God. But more importantly, we have peace among us. And that peace between Jew and Gentile, between one and one another, to preserve the unity of the bond of peace in the Spirit of God, all of that is going on in one new man in Christ Jesus. That's the church. (laughs) The church is not the YMCA, the social organization of the world, the place to have good, clean fun. The church is part of the body of Jesus Christ Himself. And brethren, when we come here, we're not coming here because we as believers lack anything. We have been granted, Peter would write, all things that pertain unto true life and godliness in Christ Jesus. This is God's super power that is now working in us, mediated through the Son of God who came to earth, died for our transgressions, buried and risen again for our justification and our glorification. How can we say, oh, the church, take it or leave it. This is the spiritual blessings that you and I need to understand is true wealth. Folks, the world would say that you and I are impoverished. The world would say, oh, you know, you're the weak ones. There's no influential people in your church. You're just weak. You're nobodies having no influence in the world. And James would write, do you not know that God has chosen the poor to grant riches? The riches of the faith of Jesus Christ. There's no one in here who is a believer in Jesus Christ that is impoverished. Did you hear that? You have no lack. You've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. And one day, the meek are going to inherit the earth. Or as Paul would write to the Corinthians, all things are yours! All you got to do is wait until the King of Kings and Lord of Lords comes and we are co-heirs with Him of all the universe. I hope you feel better about your checkbook right now. (laughs) Because you and I have something that you can't put a value on. 
And that is eternal life. And Paul would write in chapter 3 and verse 8 when he says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable. What that means is, it is the incomprehensible riches of Jesus Christ. And folks, having seen all that, does it not make sense that Paul would write to the Romans that the power of God is in the preaching of Jesus Christ, He and His work at that cross. It is the preaching of the cross that is, is the power of God. This is where the surpassing greatness of His power brought all this to pass was at Calvary and at its resurrection. What more do we need and what more should we not tell other people about that? And folks, as we learned this morning, what God did at the death of Jesus Christ is He tore down the dividing partition between the Jew and the Gentile. He took both groups. God had deliberately raised, as it were, a wall of separation. He took that Jewish nation, that ethnic Jewish nation, to Himself. And that law and those ordinances were like a wall around this, like the walls around Jerusalem. And God tore all that down in the death of His dear Son. He abolished it. He killed it in the death of Christ. And folks, what that means is is that now all the ethnos of the world have the potential of one access to God There's not one way for the Jew and another way for the Gentile. There's not one way for Baptists and another way for Presbyterians. There's not one way for America and another way for Europe. One access through one person, Jesus Christ our Lord. And folks, what a blessing that is, that the blessing of Abraham is now being fulfilled and coming upon us in this age. God is doing, as it were, a second exodus. Not an exodus out of a physical nation called Egypt, but a spiritual exodus out of the Egypt of this world, calling a people to Himself. And thanks be to God, people have responded to that. We are traveling, as it were, through the wilderness of this world to be with Him in that heavenly Jerusalem one day. And that heavenly Jerusalem will come one day on earth just like Revelation says it's going to happen. That is amazing. And I thank God for His grace. It has brought people like me and people like you to the foot of the cross and given eyes to behold these things. 
Now folks, the consequences of all that I have spoken about, all the fulfillment of the mystery of His will that is now known, the consequences of one new man in Christ Jesus means, look at verse 19, it means so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's own household. Now I don't have a line drawn in my Bible, but did you notice the familiarity of the terms in verse 19 compared to the terms in verse 12? In verse 12, Gentiles at one time were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship or the commonwealth of Israel, and what? Strangers or aliens to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Because of the death of Christ and the abolishing of that divining wall, Gentile believers are no longer strangers. In other words, folks, at one time these things were unknown to us, but now they are what? They are known. Not only are you no longer strangers, but aliens. That's the word in verse 12 that is translated excluded. We once were excluded from the citizenry of Israel. But now we are no longer aliens. We're not part of a physical nation, but we are part of Christ. That one new Man, And not only were we once separate from Christ, now we are unioned in Christ. Amen? And not only that, but we are citizens, look at verse 12 again, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, but now, verse 19, we are fellow citizens with who? The saints. Whether they are Jewish or whether they are Gentiles, we are fellow citizens. And folks, not only are we fellow citizens, look again at verse 19. You are of God's household. That word household is a family term. In other words, folks, what we see here is now we are a family member of God. And folks, that makes sense, doesn't it? We're born from where? We're born from above. We are born into the family of God. And now it's not only Jewish but now also Gentiles who are equal members of the family of God. It's not that, okay, there's going to be a Jewish quarter in heaven and they're kind of near to God. And then outside of that, like the outer court of the temple, then there's going to be us Gentiles. 
We are members of God's own household, all on equal membership to Him. Hallelujah for that. And folks, think about this. All that God has done, He did in what person? But He didn't do it with the law. Amen? He didn't say, keep this law, then you're a member of the household. He didn't say, join up with ethnic Israel, and then you're a member of the people of God. He did this in the person of His Son at a historical moment. All of those Old Testament believers looking forward to this moment. All of us looking back to that moment. But at that moment, a new creation was formed and accomplished in the Son of God. And folks, because of that, because there is only one body, only one Christ, we need to understand that those distinctions, ethnic distinctions between Jew and Gentile in Christ are done away. There's no such thing as a Jewish Christian, a Gentile Christian, a Messianic Jew, an American Christian. There's not a white Christian, a black Christian. We're Christians. Fellow citizens with all the what? Saints. Fellow citizens with all the saints. Now in the world, they maintain those distinctions, don't they? But in the church, we are one body. And let's review. Look again in Ephesians 4. Verse 3, we are to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Notice we don't create the unity of the Spirit. We are to preserve the unity that's already been accomplished. We preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4, there's only how many bodies? One. There's only how many spirits? One. There's only how many hopes of our calling? One. There's only how many lords? One. There's only one faith. Everybody see that? One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's only one of those things. Now we do have little distinctions. But at the core of every true New Testament church are these one factors. We may differ on a mode of baptism. We may differ on certain peculiarities. We may differ over where we're going to have a presbytery or we're going to have congregational polity. But that's not the essential. We all have to agree on the oneness of what God has done in His Son. And folks, what a blessing that is. To be one. To not have to be concerned about all the things the world is concerned about. And as we're seeing in America, all the warfare that's going on is going on over these type of ethnicity issues. But in the church, one body. 
And folks, that ought to be a refreshing thing for us to come to the house of God, any New Testament church, and to enter in those doors and have a breath of heaven. To have a breath of heaven. Now folks, that one body of which now we are no longer separated from Christ, we're in Christ. We are no longer unknown to the promises of God. We are no longer excluded from the outworking of those promises. We are now fellow citizens with all the saints. We're now part of the family and people of God. But we are being built into something. And we notice that, verse 20, and note the past tense here. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's own household. Now note past tense. Having been what? Having been built. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Now folks, when you lay a foundation... What are you intending to build? You're intending to build a building, right? You lay a foundation because you want to build a building. And every building has to have a foundation. You build a building without a foundation, when the winds and the waves come, the building's going to what? It's going to collapse. Even Gentiles have been built on the same foundation that is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now folks, we know from 1 Corinthians that when a church is laid, it has to be laid with the foundation, now please hear me, that has already been laid. This building that we're looking at, whatever this building is in verses 20 and 21, it's already been laid and it's already being built. Based on that pattern, if I was to start a church, I don't get to pick the foundation of which I'm going to start that local New Testament church because that local New Testament church is part of His body. And of course in Corinthians Paul emphasizes <clears throat> that that foundation is who? It's Christ himself. Now here he's making a different point. The point he's bringing up here <clears throat> is the inclusion of the Gentiles into this building. Gentiles have been built on the same foundation and the same cornerstone as a Jewish church or an individual Jew would be built upon. Same foundation, same cornerstone. Now there's a lot of debate in verse 20, not with the word apostle, but with the word prophet. 
And the debate goes something like this. Are these prophets Old Testament prophets? Or New Testament prophets? Were there New Testament prophets? There were New Testament prophets. And folks, really, there are good men who land on both sides. But I'm just going to give you what I think this is referring to. I think that the word prophets is referring to the Old Testament prophets. Now here's why I say that. In verse 20, who is the cornerstone of this foundation? Christ. The subject is Christ. Christ is the cornerstone. In the New Testament, if you come through the passages that deal with prophets and apostles in the New Testament, it seems rather clear that in the New Testament, the office of an apostle was greater than the office of a prophet. But in this passage, they're what? They're equal. Does everybody see that? So you say, okay, you can even look here in the book of Ephesians when it talks about, look in chapter 3 and verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. He says, first apostles, secondly prophets. But here, in this passage at least, in verse 21, excuse me, verse 20, they are equal. The other thing is, is that Paul has been talking about the removal of the enmity, which is what? The law. And the commandments contained within that Mosaic law. So has he been talking about the Old Testament? He has been talking about the Old Testament. But with the focal point being Christ as the cornerstone, and the focal point being that now in Christ, the Gentiles are part of this building, I think he's looking at it from this perspective. Christ the cornerstone, the apostles who preached the unfathomable riches of who? Christ. And the prophets being the Old Testament, not in the sense where they went after the people of Israel about disobeying the law, but in the sense of those Old Testament prophets foretelling about who to come. Christ. So Isaiah, did he foretell the coming Messiah? He did. Did he say that he was going to be crucified? He did. Did he say that God was going to lay on him the iniquity of us all? He did. He also foretold the people of this Messiah. He also foretold the exodus that was going to happen, that God was going to gather his people out of every tongue and tribe and nation. Those Old Testament prophets foretold Christ coming. 
But the New Testament apostles, not only did they say He's the one, they also revealed the mystery of His will. That at that historical moment, yes, those Old Testament prophets foretold that. That's a foundation. But now we know as an apostle of Christ, we know by revelation that there were other things happening in the person of Christ at His death, burial, and resurrection. Such as taking down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. So there's the foundation, I believe. The Old Testament prophets foretold the cornerstone. The New Testament apostles preached the riches of that cornerstone. And that's the foundation of this building. Now what I want to know is, I think we all agree that it's a building, right? But what kind of building is it? I mean, you could build a building that's a basketball court, right? You could build a building that's a house. You could build a building to do work in. What kind of building is this? Well, look at what it says in verse 21. In whom? Now, who's the in whom? Christ. In Christ, the whole building. Everybody see that? In Christ, the whole building being fitted together is growing into a what? A holy temple of the Lord. Folks, the book of Colossians states that in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt, can you finish it? Bodily. Bodily. What did that make Christ's body then? If the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Christ bodily, what does that make His body? A temple. It made His body, if I could word it in Old Testament language, in Christ, in that physical body in which the fullness of the Godhead dwelt, in His body is the Holy of Holies. You remember that temple which was symbolic, right? In that temple you had the outer court, you had the inner court in which the service of God... But you had a wall, you had an apron, as it were, a curtain that was over the Holy of Holies. And you could only go in that Holy of Holies once a year. And you had to have blood, you had to have a sacrifice to go into that. It was a fearful, awesome thing for a priest to carry that bloody sacrifice into it, to sprinkle it over the mercy seat. No windows in that room. The only light that would have been in that room would have been the presence of who? Of God in the Shekinah glory. It was on earth the location of the fullness of God. 
But folks, when Christ came, when the Son of God took on a human body, that body became the nanos, the holy of holies of God. In His body is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And folks, that's exactly what Christ said. I want you to take your Bibles and turn back to the book of John. John chapter 2. What we're about to read here in John chapter 2 became the reason why Christ was killed. This was the testimony that got Christ killed. In John chapter 2, you remember that Jesus enters into the temple. He walks into that temple and there were people buying and selling oxen and sacrificial animals. He makes a scourge and He goes and He drives out the money changers. He drives out those who were selling sacrificial animals. And He says, you're not to make my father's house a den of thieves. It's called a house of what? Prayer. Of all nations. And folks, those disciples, verse 17, remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Can you imagine what that looked like in the Son of God? Overthrowing those tables, driving out those animals. What did those disciples look at? They looked at zeal. Zeal for God. When verse 18, the Jews said to Him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? And look at Jesus' reply. Verse 19. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now what do you think about that statement? Folks, if you were there in that temple area at that day and you heard Christ say that, what would you think? You would probably think what the Jews thought. So in verse 20, the Jews said, it took 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days? I find it fascinating. They didn't question that he could have destroyed it in one. But to build it again in three days? Is that what you're saying? That is what he said, didn't he? But folks, when he said, destroy this temple, what temple was he talking about? His body. Folks, did the Messiah know His body was the temple of God? Yes. 
the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Him bodily. And in three days, Christ raised up that temple from the grave. And folks, this is exactly what Paul is referring to as we go back to the book of Ephesians when he says this. He says, in whom the whole building... What building is he talking about? His body. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy what? A holy temple of God. And folks, when you're talking about His body, when you're talking about us being members of His body, we're talking about a body that has not ever gathered together yet. Right? I've not been in a gathering, an ecclesia, that had Paul and Peter, were they part of his body? Yes. There's all kinds of people all over this world I've never gathered with, and there's people in the future that are going to become believers that I've never gathered with, but will we gather one day? We will gather one day. The building, as it were, will be complete. And that building being the body of Christ, in whom? In Christ. The whole building is fitted together, growing into a holy temple of the Lord. That is amazing. And folks, this is why Peter himself will refer to believers as living stones. Living stones. What do you do with a stone? You make a what? A building. What kind of building? A temple. What's a temple? The dwelling place of deity. That's what God's doing. And we, you and I can read the book of Revelation and we can begin to see that body actually coming together and giving praise and honor and glory to the head of the body, which is Christ Jesus Himself. I long to see that day. I long to see that day when all the saints, we're fellow citizens with all the saints, will be gathered around that throne to give praise and honor and glory to the One who showed us grace. The riches of His grace. Hallelujah. Now that brings us to verse 22. In verse 22, he says, In whom, who's that? Christ. In whom you also. Everybody see that? 
in you, in him, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Well, he certainly could be referring to Gentiles, couldn't he? And I do think he is referring to Gentiles also. But folks, specifically, who is Paul addressing? Folks, who is he writing this epistle to? The church in what city? Ephesus. Ephesus. In other words, Paul's writing this to a local New Testament church. What about that local New Testament church that we know of as the church at Ephesus? You also are being built together. For what purpose? A dwelling of God in the what? In the Spirit. Everybody see that? We could say faith memorial being built together so that when we meet together, we are a dwelling place of deity. That makes church a little different on the scope of things, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Folks, this is exactly what Paul would write to the Corinthians. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. When he, having to rebuke them, talks about, <clears throat> don't you know, don't you know this about the church? 1 Corinthians 3, look at verse 9. Paul talks about laying that foundation and he says, We are God's fellow workers. You, church at Corinth, you are God's field. You are God's what? Building. So according to the grace of God, verse 10 I, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another man, another laborer is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Because no man can lay a foundation other than the one that is laid. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. That's how a church is started, right? The preaching of Christ, the salvation of people, the Holy Spirit gathering them together. And then there's the appointment of elders and teachers. And what are they doing on top of that foundation? They are teaching them all things that Christ commanded us. We are teaching how to observe those things. What are we doing? We're building on top of that foundation. Folks, what happens when that man goes? Well, another man comes, right? And what is he to do? He's to build. But you better be careful how you build. Because you can build with wood, hay, and stubble. That is the wisdom of the world. 
or you can build with the wisdom of God in Christ. Gold, silver, precious stones. And the day will declare it. How it was built. And folks, he's going to come down here as he addresses this, and he says in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 3, Do you not know that you, that's a plural you, that you are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells where? In you. Everybody see that? Don't you know, Faith Memorial, that you are a temple of God, a dwelling place of deity on the face of this earth? Do we know that? It will definitely change how we behave in the house of God. Wouldn't you agree with that? And folks, the danger of it is, look at verse 17, if any man destroys what? God will destroy him. Because the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are, church at Corinth. And folks, that church was being torn down. They were still meeting. They were still preaching. But they were being torn down. Why? Because they were interested in the wisdoms of this world. But the point being, is that church a temple of God? Even with all its problems. Did it have problems? Did have problems. But it is the dwelling place of God. Why is it a dwelling place of God? Because the members that are meeting in that local New Testament church in their vessel dwells the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what Paul refers to in chapter 6 of this same book, 1 Corinthians in verse 19, when he says this, we're to flee immorality. Verse 19, do you not know that your body, singular, is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, and you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your what? In your body. Folks, our vessels as individual believers in this earthen vessel dwells the wealth of God. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, dwells in us. The same Spirit that was in Christ Jesus dwells in every genuine believer. That would make us be careful where we take Him. Would it not? 
And folks, when those individual members in whom is the Spirit of God and they come and they covet together and become a local New Testament assembly, when those members come together, that coming together representing a body representative of the risen Christ in His body, when that body comes together, the dwelling place of God is here. That's amazing, isn't it? And folks, because of that, I as an individual believer am a temple of God. We as a New Testament assembly, we are a temple of God. It's not the building, it's the gathering together of the individual members forming a body. Everybody see that? Our body could meet in the woods and we'd still be a nanos of God, a temple of God. And folks, all that happened when the dividing wall of partition was tore down. This one new man, this singular building that is being built into a dwelling place of God. Now I left something out here that now as I conclude, I want to go back to. I want to go back to this universal church, this whole building, this whole body of Christ that is now seated in heavenly places. His whole body the members of His whole body are the saints from the past, present, and the future. Look at what it says. Verse 21. It is being fitted together. Everybody see that? Being fitted together. And it is growing into a holy temple of God. Now all that work was accomplished at the cross, but folks, there are people yet to be born that are going to be part of this body. This body is growing living stone by living stone by living stone to be the dwelling place of God. Everybody see that? Fitted together. Is God perfectly putting it together? Is Christ's body going to be disabled? Is it going to be missing anything? Is it going to be perfectly in union? Is it going to be perfectly working together in that day so that in the ages to come, the exceeding grace of all those riches are going to be poured out in kindness to us through Christ Jesus? The answer to that is yes. But folks, that same process that I just told you is to be occurring in every local New Testament church. In other words, what is true for the whole body of Christ is to be true for every individual local New Testament church. Did you see verse 21? 
The whole building being fitted together is what? Growing. Now go over to Ephesians 4. Look at verse 11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor-teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Everybody with me? Till we come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The result of that is, verse 14, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. No, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Everybody see that? Grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Now look at verse 16. From whom the whole body being fitted. Have you seen that before? Being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. According to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Everybody see that? Okay, read again verse 21 in chapter 2. In whom the whole building being fitted together is what? Growing. Local New Testament church, we're to be reflective of what's going on in the body of Christ. We're being fitted together. We're to be growing up in Him. And as we are fitted together and by every individual member of that local New Testament church functioning like it's supposed to be functioning, it causes the maturity and the growth of that local New Testament church, the building up of itself in what? In love. To repeat again, what is going on and what is true for the body of Christ, the whole body of Christ, is the same activity that is to be true for every local New Testament church. This is the mystery of His will being brought together so that to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places, those rulers and authorities would look down upon Faith Memorial Baptist Church And behold the wisdom of God. Wow. That ought to lay a responsibility on every one of us. To walk worthy of this calling by which we are called. Let's pray.